Hello and welcome to this episode of Demystified as we explore home cooking in a modern world. Hi, I'm Linda McGowan and in this episode of Demystified it's all about rice and legumes. Hi, I'm Linda McGowan and I'm sitting here with Paul Mounsey and we're from Demystified where we tackle home cooking in a modern world. And today I'm going to talk to Paul uh, about rice and legumes and how to cook them in our steam and combi steam ovens. So hello Paul. Hello Linda, just want to ensure that your phone's on silent. Oh, I checked. It is. Thank you. Um, Paul, one of, the, one of the topics that I see we get a lot of queries about from our uh, community and the steam and combi steam oven cooking is about how to cook rice and how to cook chickpeas and legumes and you know what, what does it mean in a steam oven context. So could you please elucidate for us? I know it's wow. a big word. I know it's late in the day, but could you uh, have a chat about that? If I knew what elucidate meant, I probably could. <laughs> um, all right, so let's start with rice. So probably the most common, I don't want to say mistake, but error people make is that they think because they have a steam oven and that it steams things that it will automatically steam rice. Now that is partially true, but the methodology behind cooking rice in a steam oven is no different to what you would do on your stovetop. So the theory then is, is why would you do, or the question is, why would you do it in your steam oven? So <clears throat> there are benefits to both versions of cooking, a more traditional stovetop cooked rice, as in absorption method, versus doing the same method in your steam oven. Um, if you were to ask me on a day-to-day basis how I'm going to cook my rice, it will always be on my induction cooktop. And the only time that I will go at it with my steam oven, and I'm talking just general, like a jasmine rice or a long-grain white rice to mm-hmm. serve as a side dish. Um, mm-hmm. If I was to do that and I needed volume and big volume, then I'll go to my steam oven to do it. That's interesting because uh, when I first made risotto that first time, I couldn't. I was a bit sceptical. I thought risotto, yeah, you know, what difference would a steam oven make? Until I made it in the in our steam oven, our combi steam oven, and I, I think I wrote about this in one of our blogs that I couldn't believe the time I I had extra, because I wasn't stirring it, but it, it seemed to cook it in a more gentle, consistent flavour as well. Yeah, well, I mean, we're talking about a different grain again. And those of you that know us, our website, our cookbook, anything like that, you'll note in the recipes, in any of the risotto recipes, we start in a more traditional manner. So we actually start our rice on the cooktop and we finish it on the cooktop. Um, And what we do in the middle part where you would be standing stirring for 20 minutes is we actually let the steam oven do the work for us. So it's not a traditional method. Am I, from my deepest, deepest heart's, you know, perspective, do I think it's right? Probably not. Do I think it's convenient and gives you an excellent result? Absolutely. So 
it's really a question of applying the right tool at the right time. So it's a phrase I've heard you use before. Yeah. So like for something like risotto, we use the steam oven in that middle section to essentially gently, slowly cook our rice. We also, you know, and this is a, (coughs) pardon me, this is a, a term that I have coined and don't use very often, but I call it indirect steaming. Um, essentially where, as you would know, Linda, we, we start our rice in a traditional manner on a stovetop. We saute our onions, garlic, then our rice. We do the white wine thing. We reduce that down. And then at that point, we add pretty much all of our stock for the entire recipe at once. But then what we do is put a lid on it. And we put a lid on it because in a steam oven, there is a certain amount of pressure that's created from the steam within the steam oven. And we're talking about steam only cooking. Um, so we use the pressure that's created from the steam inside the oven to essentially cook our rice so it isn't direct steaming like we would a piece of fish where we're using the steam inside the cavity as our cooking medium we're more using the pressure inside the cavity that steam creates as a gentler cooking medium so as not to you know really damage the grain hurt the grain so if you think about let's say general long grain rice on your cooktop, if you try absorption method, which means bring your rice to the boil, generally it then says, or the the packet will tell you to lower the temperature to its lowest setting. So you're not boiling the rice. So essentially we're following that same procedure. We're not boiling the rice. We're actually cooking it at a gentler temperature in an enclosed environment, just using the pressure of the steam inside the cavity to look after the grain itself but also cook it so it's a time-saving effort number one but it also yeah i mean time saving is probably the big tick for it but it also gives you as close to a good end result as what you would get the difference being is because we're not agitating the rice specifically in the case of risotto we're not agitating it therefore we're not getting the starch out of it therefore you're not getting that really creamy end result but what we do is work on that after that sort of middle cooking period. So our risotto, most risotto arborio rice, any risotto short grain rice that, any short grain rice that you would use for risotto, um, relies on that that constant stir to get the starch out, which gives you that creamy mouthfeel. And what we do is just use a section of the middle part of the cook where we don't do that, but what we do is finish it at the end and get that creaminess back into it. So is it traditional? Not in the truest sense of the word, but does it give you a good 20 minutes? You've got a risotto on your on your bench without having to do any work so you can go and put the clothes in the wash and do whatever when you get home from work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's as good as you're gonna get. Okay, and if you're adding meats or proteins and vegetables to the rice in that, pro- in that cooking time as well, would you do it at the beginning, in the middle? It totally depends on what you add. Um, so another topic that we've discussed before is colour equaling flavour. Yes. So let's say you're doing a mushroom risotto. Okay, Mushrooms, although they don't take a long time to cook, um, they can withstand a longer cook at a lower temperature. So from a mushroom perspective, let's say I would probably sweat saute colour my mushrooms pre 
my starting the risotto and set them aside and then maybe towards the end I would add them and stir them through just to rewarm them. Um, a protein like chicken or prawn or anything like that, it depends on the protein. Uh, I mean, we don't want to be in a situation where we're cooking our protein for 20 minutes if it doesn't require it. Certainly a prawn doesn't require it. Mm. So, you know, all those things are done towards the end. I mean, originally, as you would know, you when you and I were doing research about commie steam ovens and what information was on the internet, we saw a whole heap of different, and I put in inverted commas, chefs, from various brands mm, loading yes. <laughs> a whole heap of ingredients and vegetables and, and rice into a tray, covering them with stock and putting them in the oven. And what was produced was, for want of a better term, absolute stodge. So hence why I've taken the more traditional method of starting the rice traditionally and ending it traditionally and just using the middle part of and using the oven more as a, I suppose, as a tool, um, rather than a cooking vessel, if you like, it's it's just doing the work for us in the middle section. So, yeah, adding things to it, you just think about what you're adding and how much cook time that needs. If you want to add chicken, maybe you slice the chicken super thin, and you just toss it, you know, set it in the pan and at the end before you finish off with your butter, parmesan, and maybe a little bit more stock. Maybe that's the best way to go about it. Mm. I think that that brings up another topic which we'll address on another episode of Demystified, but the the rise of uh, one-pot cooking, which I'm not a fan of, and uh, I know, I don't think you are either as much for what they are. I'm not but, uh, anti another, it. I'm not anti it, but I don't, I don't think it's a panacea that we see a lot of videos on combi steam cooking particularly saying hey you can put everything in at once and it's fantastic and as we know that doesn't always produce the best result but another topic for another day so i think that's rice kind of covered and um i always learn something when you're talking paul I always pick up something that i haven't thought of before but legumes and chickpeas and are they legumes yeah yeah okay chickpeas and legumes and um beans lentils yeah anything lentils, like yeah. that yeah so that i mean they um that's a good use of your, your combi steam oven the trick there for new players is that you still need to add water mm. but and you still need to soak them um i mean you can get away with some you know split peas and things that don't need to be soaked you'll always get a better result if they are soaked essentially rehydrated mm-hmm. um but also the other trick and you like for those of you that know our recipes i mean i have two favorite seasonings in the world one is sea salt and one is extra virgin olive oil um do not under any circumstances attempt to season something like a chickpea, a lentil, or anything pre-cooking. So, because what it actually does is puts a, um, almost like a film around the, the legume or the chickpea or the lentil or whatever it is we're talking about and prevents it from cooking. And it will eventually cook, but it'll take almost double the amount of time to cook. So even if you were doing it a traditional method on your stovetop and you had your chickpeas going and you were cooking them in water, and you'd seasoned that water, those chickpeas would take twice as long as if you hadn't seasoned them. So, although I'm- There's a couple of bad recipes (laughs) in the past. (laughs) Although I'm all for seasoning, um, 
there are you know there's always a rule you know that you will discover and yeah for new players that's a good one to know because although the convenience of things like canned chickpeas are there and they're good and they're convenient and all the rest of it if you actually go and buy quality chickpeas and cook them yourself the taste difference is extraordinary so the taste that you get from chickpeas in a can to chickpeas that you actually buy dried and cook for yourself and you spend some reasonable money on them but it's like anything with ingredients the better you buy the better end result you get but something like a chickpea most people will look at it and go oh, yeah whatever but it is absolutely extraordinary they have a like in the case of a chickpea you'll get like this nutty flavor that the can just doesn't produce so although the cans do have you know a convenience factor about them and yes they're good you can whip up a hummus in five minutes um doing it yourself and i'm a big advocate for doing it yourself um doing it yourself will give you far more options for what to do with something as basic as a chickpea or a lentil that's interesting because i've sort of not really eaten them much when i've been cooking at home because to me those canned varieties are a bit tasteless i mean they serve a purpose and they might bulk you up and fill up a a dish but there isn't a lot of flavor to them yeah i know the good thing about something like you know a chickpea a bean a lentil anything like that is that they do have the ability to absorb some flavor especially over a long slow cooking process so you look at something like a cassoulet you know a classic french dish where you've got things like pork belly and pork sausage and duck and all these things you know you, you mentioned one pot i mean if that isn't the best one pot one to go around, then I'm not here. Yeah. Like One pot over three days. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> nonetheless, yeah. but those beans will take on all of those mm. flavours and become an integral part of that dish. I would say to you that in my home cooking, I would use chickpeas, cannellini beans, lentils at least twice a week. Also because they're filling and they're healthy and, you know, they're easy, they're easy to manage, easy to cook. You can do a lot with them. I mean, a lot of you'll see recipes for, you know, I mean, there's a million recipes for something like hummus using chickpeas and that's fine. But, like, cook your chickpeas and cook them correctly and then pan fry them in olive oil with garlic and chilli until they pop and you get this crust on the outer surface. It's like a somewhere cross between, like, it's like creamy popcorn. Right, I think we need a video on that, Paul. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I don't think I've ever had it that way. Yeah, really good. Okay. And does your three-year-old like it? Is it not, a big fan of, not, not a big fan of the chilli. Um, oh, he's got his own tastes. They're developing. We're working mm. on it. But that sounds amazing. And, and again, like with rice, if you're cooking them and you've got the flavours, when do you add in the other vegetables, the... You know, the onions, the, the carrot and so on that might go with the lentils or the legumes? Again, it depends on what the vegetable is. The size that you cut the vegetable will also make a difference. So there's a very, and I mean, I know I refer to a lot of sort of French stuff, but that's kind of my hitting zone, but there's a very famous sort of uh, side dish called lentils du poi. So they're poi lentils, but it's not just lentils. Um, and the reason poi lentils are so highly regarded around the world is they keep their shape over long cooking periods, but they also have their own particular flavour. 
Um, and they will generally be done with, let's say, a very fine dice of carrot and shallot and there's garlic and tarragon and various herbs and things. And all of those things are generally cooked as, you know, can be cooked with the lentil, but generally because something like a lentil or a chickpea, you're talking probably about a good 20 minutes. I mean, I'm paraphrasing massively because each bean will be different, but, you know, let's say 20 minutes. I don't want to cook a finely diced carrot for 20 minutes. So it depends on what you add. Things like that, probably the best rule of thumb is if you get a hard root vegetable like a carrot or a celeriac or a potato or parsnip or something like that, even a beetroot that's a hard root vegetable, if you cut it the same size as whatever it is, the legume that you're cooking, it will essentially take probably about the same amount of time to cook. So yes, you could throw everything into a one pot and cook it all together. Are you going to benefit from it? Well... Yeah, it depends. I mean, I like to cook things like lentils and and strain off all the water and get rid of it because it will have some grit in there. It will have some dirt. You get a bit of sort of scum on the top. You know, I like to get rid of all of that and just have the lentils themselves and then dress the lentils and add things to it later. Similar with rice too. You know, I like to add things after and cook things separately. Yeah, I might use an extra pan or an oven tray or a pot or something like that. But, you know, I concentrate on cooking a ingredient correctly and then other ingredients to go with said a ingredient and i'll cook them separately because i want each part of it to be as good as it could be as soon as you add onion carrots whatever it is in your rice you change what's happening inside a pot pan dish you change the environment you change the way the grains are working with the water you change everything that's happening in there and therefore you're going to change the consistency of the cooking of your rice or legume or whatever it might be so i'll generally tend to cook things separately to whatever it is is the main component of let's say the dish let's say lentils du poi i'll cook the lentils separately to everything else you know i might add a few bay leaves a bit of thyme to perfume them but the actual mm. other components of the dish will go as a separate part. Well, then to finish this one off, uh, can we talk a little bit about stock? Because uh, stock. we ran out of well, because for rice and and for chickpeas and and all sorts oh, of yeah, legumes. Oh yeah, this is a good story. Listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> we had run out of stock at home, our chicken stock and vegetable stock that I normally have in our pantry, but we did have some beef stock, and I thought, how wrong could it be? So I was making a risotto for Dougie and I uh, for lunch and I had no idea to be just so wrong. And I just thought stock was stock. Why isn't stock stock, Paul? Well, it, well I mean, it depends on the stock, firstly. Um, and we're talking about not homemade stock here. We're talking about packet liquid stock. Well, the brand said homemade stock. No, no, okay. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you did. It was made you, in someone's home, wasn't it? You didn't produce the stock yourself. <laughs> no, I didn't produce um, the stock. So, why, why was it such an epic failure? Um, there are various reasons. A lot of it will have to do with the stock itself. I mean, if you did, there essentially for me, there are two versions of stock. There is a, what we call a light stock, and there is a dark stock, or a brown stock and a white stock. That's probably more common. So white stocks are essentially bones and sometimes vegetables bought to the boil and simmered for a long time, straight up. 
So it's just bones, vegetables, herbs, you know, bay leaves, all that sort of stuff. And it's brought to the boil and simmered for a long time. And then a brown stock is generally roasted bones, the same process. Okay, and by roasting the bones, what you do is you create color and color equals flavor. So you have two different flavor profiles straight up. Now packet stocks from what I can tell, and I have, I'm just as guilty as anyone as buying them, using them, um, except I will not buy beef stock. Or I will buy chicken stock and vegetable stock. I won't buy fish stock and I won't buy beef stock. Um, packet stocks from what I can tell and in the case of beef stock I don't know if they're getting the colour of them because the colour is much darker, richer, deeper because that's what you would expect when you go and buy beef stock you think beef, you think dark yeah, red yeah, brown, red, brown, yeah, darker dark. and I don't know what it is that they're adding to get to that are they roasting their bones? Mm. I've got no idea my suggestion to you would be that there is certainly probably a sugar content or a molasses content added and so remember, when you are cooking with stock and you are effectively reducing that stock down when you are doing your beef stock risotto, which sounds gross anyway, but anyway, <laughs> when you are doing it your sound so bad at the time. beef stock risotto, um, you're essentially cooking that down and condensing that flavor. So you're reducing it. So like any stock, if you reduce it for long enough, the flavor intensifies. So you've intensified the flavour of things like probably some beef bones that I would hope are in there, um, but certainly a molasses content, certainly a salt content. There would be a massive salt content in there and, you know, possibly a sugar content to get some colour, you know, vinegar as well. So you've got all these other separate things that, which are going into the stock, which you are effectively reducing down and concentrating the flavour of because that's what's happening, but all that all that is going into your rice. So whereas chicken stocks and packet chicken stocks or packet vegetable stocks and liquid stocks, not stock cubes, we won't even talk about those things, but liquid stocks, they're, from what I can tell, it's essentially no color is added. So there's no molasses content, there's no food color, there's no sugar, because then there's no expectation from the customer that a chicken stock should look that deep, dark, rich, golden brown colour of a roasted chicken because everyone believes that chicken stock should be this sort of, you know, creamy, not creamy, but, you know, slightly opaque, off-white water. You know what I mean? So I think the reason that your failure came about was because of not so much your technique, but because of the ingredient that you used and what was put in there. I mean, if you had have turned around and got some raw beef bones, put them in a pot, brought them to the boil with maybe a bit of vegetable and a bit of this and, you know, herbs and thyme and rosemary and garlic and da-da-da, you would essentially still have a beef stock, but it would look nothing like your chicken stock. It would have beef flavour. And would it have been better in your risotto? Absolutely. Well, the result that we had was so bad, I'm not even sure I'm ready to <laughs> test it out, Paul. But thanks for that. And uh, thank you all for listening, and I hope you've... Got an idea now of when you're going to be cooking your rice and your chickpeas, legumes, lentils and so on, how to look at processing them in the oven. And uh, any questions, please keep in touch. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Don't do it in beef stock. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast as we explore home cooking in a modern world. 
We'd love you to subscribe. And for more information, please go to our website, cookingwithsteam.com. Thank you.